And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to dive into a new series. Now, last summer, we did a series, and uh, we thought we were pretty clever, actually, coming up with it, where we looked at wisdom literature, and we said the series was called Wisdom is Lit. And then I made you turn to each other so many times and go, Wisdom is Lit, fam. And you all hated me. And I'm not going to make you do it again, okay? I'm just reminding you, we, did, we looked at some wisdom literature, and we said last summer that, that there were in the Old Testament of the Bible. So in our Bibles, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is the part before Jesus was born, lived, died, rose again, okay? The Old Testament is prior to that. And in the Old Testament, we said that there were three basic ways that God tended to speak to his people. One is through the law which is basically the rules. Here's the rules. It's very detailed. It's like in, you know, Deuteronomy and Leviticus and that. Here's the rules for sacrifices, the rules for faith, the rules for everything. And, and these, are all the, these are all the laws. And they're not easy reading. And they're very detailed and very structured. And so God would speak through that. Then the second way that God would speak uh, to people in the Old Testament, speak through the law, then he'd speak through the prophets. The prophets were when the law wasn't working. <laughs> the prophets were when people were breaking the law. The prophets would go, ah, hello. You're doing it wrong, and we got to come back to God. And they would call people to repentance. And then the third way that, that God tended to speak to people through the Old Testament was through wisdom literature. And wisdom kind of fills in the gaps and fills in the holes for everything else. Because how many know that maybe on a Thursday morning, you might face a situation, and you're not sure what to do. You're not sure how you're supposed to act. And you can't find a specific law or a specific Bible verse that specifically tells you what to do in that exact situation. Anybody ever been there? You just need, you're like, I need wisdom. Okay, that's what wisdom literature, literature is. It's kind of um, the principles of how things are supposed to work, just general, everyday wisdom stuff. Now, there's different parts in the Bible of wisdom literature, okay? This is all just review from last summer. We're going to get to what we're doing today. There's, there's the book of Proverbs, which we did last summer, which is just little, tiny little proverbs, little sayings that, that are, this is how life works. And it's not always how life works. Sometimes life doesn't work that way, but, but generally it does. Generally it's supposed to, it's how God's created world was supposed to work. It's supposed to be the normative. So that that's proverbs. Then you have, for example, the book of Job, which we're not going to look at this summer. Um, Job is what happens when everything goes horribly, horribly wrong. When nothing goes the way it's supposed to, and, and life is just, it's just awful, and you go, where is God? And, and that's wisdom literature. And you see there these conversations of people that, that, that said back then and still say to this day the most ridiculous pat answers when somebody's suffering, just acknowledges those things and then goes, no, that's not the answer, okay? So that's Job. Ecclesiastes is what we're going to look at this summer. Ecclesiastes is uh, what you look at when you, when you just don't see the point, when you just, you don't get the meaning, and, and everybody else seems fine, okay? Everybody else seems like they're going along just fine, and they're totally oblivious to the fact that, hello, things are not working, Ecclesiastes is written for people that are, that are like that. It's like if you ever saw that movie, and I know it's years ago now, but you ever saw the movie The Matrix, right? Where everybody's just, they're just going along, living life, everything's great, steak dinners, careers, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Except as it turns out, none of it's real, right? 
Everybody, if you haven't seen it, plug your ears. Spoiler alert, if it, it, none of it's real because, because everybody's actually just hooked up like batteries in some sort of weird alien kind of thing, and, and they're, they're, they're under the illusion that they're living a life, but really they're not living any purposeful life at all, and they're barely actually even alive, okay? You can unplug your ears now. If someone beside you has their ears plugged, elbow them, okay? Ecclesiastes is that kind of book. Some people love it. Some people, not so much, okay? Now, there's, there's kind of two kinds of people in the world. Both of them are valid. Some people are like my dad, okay? That's my dad up there. That's my dad hanging off the edge of the CN Tower because why not? So my dad and I, we did the edge walk several years ago. My husband and my mother stayed inside and proclaimed our level of insanity. And my dad and I had a great time. We went and walked around the edge of the CN Tower in Toronto, and we hung off the edge like that's normal to do. And, and you can see that my dad there has a giant smile on his face, and you might think that that's because he's hanging out over the city of Toronto from high up, but actually, he always has that smile on his face. If you ever meet my dad, you will recognize him by the giant smile that's there because it's always there. And my dad is the kind of personality in his world, the sky's always blue, birds are always singing, sun's always shining, and in his world, everybody loves him. And if they don't, it's because they just don't know him yet, okay? It's a happy, happy place my dad lives in, okay? Very grateful to have been raised by him. And, and he's always smiling. And somebody might say, well, that's because obviously he's never going, gone through anything difficult in his life. He's never struggled with anything. He would be just completely wrong. My dad has dealt with all kinds of pain. He has dealt with deep hurts. He has walked through very difficult times. And he knows what suffering is. But he chooses to hang on to his smile, and he chooses and says, I believe God is good, and he hangs on to his faith, and that's, that's just who he is, and that's, how his, that's his personality, and that's his faith. That's my dad. That's one kind of person. Then there's another kind of person. The other kind of person, they're, they're the person that questions everything. They're super skeptical, okay? They don't take anything at face value. They either have really solid faith, or they have no faith. And either way, it took them a long time to get there because they had to figure it all out. They're the ones that just sat in here just now and heard me say, it's a good day. And they said, really? Really? Have you read the news? Right? That's who a skeptic is. That's the other kind of Two kinds of people. One of them says, we're doomed. And the other one says, well, I'll just show you. I see trees of green. I see them blue for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. You know, on some days, life does make sense. Everything fits into place, things work out, and people are actually nice. Yeah. But to be entirely honest, on most days, it's not like that. I don't have a clue. I don't know who I am, what I'm doing, or where I'm going. It's like I just wake up. But it's not the first day of my life. I've been here for a while. I'm just stuck. It's not my fault. There's no real sense of direction. But it gets worse. 
I walk around every day and everything looks so safe and okay. But in reality, everything is so messed up, no one has any idea either. They just accept it and move on. I can't do that. The colors of the rainbow So pretty in the skies Also on the faces Of people going by It's all the same. Plagiarism, drama, toothpaste, seatbelts, espresso, double espresso, supersize. It's not enough. It's never enough. Sleep. Six hours a day? No. Twelve hours a day. Earn a degree. Get a job. Make money. Spend money. Be important. Be somebody. I see friends shaking hands saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I why are we all racing around, waiting to die? Why are we so easily manipulated? The TV does our thinking for us. Apathy constricts our airways. Why is it that our culture has everything, but we've never been more lost or confused? Yes, I think to myself. What a wonderful Nothing. Just thinking. Welcome to Ecclesiastes. This is the kind of book in our Bible that kind of goes, it's written by somebody who just goes, oh, come on. Really? And it seems to be written by a skeptic who, who doubts or questions just about anything anybody says to him. And, and maybe he does it, you know, kind of flippantly with his arms folded and this look of disdain on his face. Or maybe they might really agonize about it and they just really want to believe, but they can't. They just can't get past the questions. You know, years ago in, in a different city, uh, when I was, at, I was at a church there and, and next door to the church there was a little shop. And that shop was owned by a guy named Nathan. And I would stop in sometimes and say, talk to him and say hi to him. And, and uh, we connected, and he knew who I was, knew I was the pastor of the church, and knew, you know, what I believed and all that, and a really friendly guy. And so one day I stopped in, and I said, hey, Nathan, how's it going? And it wasn't going well at all. And he was having a really tough time. And so we chatted a bit, and then I said, well, you know, can I pray for you? Would that be okay? And he said, well, I mean, you can. But he said, I just, you know, I just... I don't want to disrespect you, and I don't want to dishonor, and I think it's great, you know, that you believe what you do, but can I just tell you my struggle that I have with, with, with faith and with Christianity? And I said, sure, you can. And he said, I just, I don't get how you think you can have it all figured out. I, I go outside, and I look at the sky, which is filled with stars that are light years away, and, and I look at nature, and I look at all of the different pieces, and all the mysteries, and all the things that we don't understand, and I don't understand how you Christians just think you have a simple answer for everything, and you just got it all figured out. I don't get it. And I said to him, you've never read Ecclesiastes, have you? <laughs> 
Ecclesiastes is a hard one to read. It's hard to read if you're a person of faith. It's especially hard to read if you're a person of faith that, that just has a simple answer for everything and wants a simple answer for everything. So when you first start reading Ecclesiastes in Scripture, at first, you're, you might feel a little bit, you might really enjoy it. It's a little bit amusing. It's a little bit fun because you know it's going to come back around, right? There's going to come back to a nice, simple, happy ending. Everything's going to be fine, and you're a little bit smug as you start reading it. Yeah, I know these are the questions, right? Then you read it a little bit further, and you start getting a little bit anxious. He's going to bring it around, right? Like, we're not just going to land in this place of uncertainty. And then you might even, the further you go in Ecclesiastes, you might actually get really irritated with the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, with the person who's speaking, because you don't agree, possibly, with what he says about God and what he says about life. And why is this even in the Bible? And then you get to the end, and there's sort of this two-line wrap-up that, that is supposed to make it all better, and you're left going, ah, okay. It's tough. It's, it's not easy. So I thought, you know, let's tackle it. It's summertime. Let's take a look at Ecclesiastes. It's going to have some uncomfortable moments, unless you're like my dad or Louis Armstrong, and even they probably have their moments, okay? It's going to have some uncomfortable moments, but that's okay. Because here's what I want you to know. If your faith never has an uncomfortable moment, it's not going to grow. If, you're, if your faith never has any uncomfortable moments in it, you're never going to grow. You're never going to become mature. Your faith is going to be shallow. It's going to be brittle. It's going to fall apart at the first time something doesn't make sense. This happens to people a lot. And it, it happens to people of all ages uh, at different times, but it especially tends to happen to young adults or, or kids that are going, you know, through high school and moving into just becoming more of an adult. And, and part of the reason for that sometimes is because they've never really been taught to think about their faith. They just, here's what it is. And they've never been, they've never really thought about it. And so then they, they get to high school or they get to university or they get to a job or there's somebody that has a different set of beliefs and they start moving away uh, from only being influenced by family or by whatever. And, and suddenly there's these new influences. And, and if you're at university, you know, there's new people and there's smart people and, and respected professors. And their job in university and in, in schools is to, is to kind of poke you a little bit and poke holes in what you think you know so that you learn to think think, and you learn to think critically, and you learn to problem solve and everything. But for some people, they, they go through that process, and they start hearing different points of views, and holes start getting poked in what they think they believe. And for some people, their faith just doesn't, it doesn't survive that, which is awful. If, if you have the app right now, you'll see that I put a couple links in there of articles that talk a little about this. You can check that out now or later if you want to. Can I just do an aside and say how grateful I am for Pastor Shannon and Pastor Tim here at Evangel that are teaching our kids and our youth and our young adults to think. They actually believe that, that discipleship and training uh, our kids, it's more than pizza and face painting. <laughs> and so Pastor Shannon, when she talks about children's ministry and all the stuff that she's doing, she goes, listen, this is not babysitting. This is not childcare. Our kids that just went out there, it's not babysitters looking after them. They're, they're, they're learning scripture. They're learning how to pray. They're learning how to worship. They're learning how to live lives of generosity. They're learning what it is that makes up their faith so that they can start building a solid foundation for their faith. And I thank God for that. 
Pastor Tim is deeply committed to the idea that being a follower of Jesus is not just, it's not just a cakewalk. It's something that's deep. It's something that requires thought. And it's something in which you serve and you worship and you understand your faith and you wrestle with the difficult questions even while you're having fun. And so, and so I'm, I'm thankful that they're here. Now, let me just do an, a different aside, and I won't make eye contact with anyone, okay? So I'm grateful for Pastor Shannon and Pastor Tim that are here. But parents, can I just talk to you for a minute without, without making eye contact, okay? You, you want your kids to grow up as followers of Jesus, yes? Well, that was a terrifying moment. <laughs> yeah. You want your kids... To grow up as followers of Jesus, can I just tell you, it's not going to happen by accident. You got to be intentional about it. You got to live that in your home because your kids are watching and we are, we're coming alongside you and we're doing everything that we can to help make space for your kids to ask questions and to learn and to mature and to grow. But, but they, they, that's going to be partially dependent on what they see in the home. It's going to be partially dependent on what they see in you and how you live your faith. And it's going to be partially dependent on your commitment to, to prioritizing what, what happens in their lives when they're younger. Okay, so I, I, I remember talking a month or so ago to one of our global friends in Ukraine. Her name's Bogdana. And one of the things that she does, one of the areas of ministry that she does, is she meets with young teenage, teenage girls one-on-one and just mentors them and helps them grow and all of that. And she told me uh, a month or so ago that she had a, a parent come to her and say, hey, you know how you do that mentoring thing with other young, younger girls? Listen, my daughter's 17 and I need you to fix her. So could, could you just mentor her and do whatever you do? Just fix her, right? And, and she said, ah, okay, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. But she knew. She knows the family. And she said, like, you know, the, the family hasn't, the, the faith is not a strong priority in their particular family and how they, there's not a lot of consistency there. There hasn't been a lot of priority in helping their child to stay connected with a community of faith. It's, well, if there's not sports and if there's not a movie and if there's not a family event and if we don't happen to sleep in, well, then maybe we'll go on Sunday. And so she kind of said, and I just love Ukrainians because they just, they just say stuff. And she said, okay. She said, well, I'll do what I can. It's a lot harder at this point, <laughs> okay? And we wonder why sometimes why kids grow up and why they become young adults and sometimes they walk away. Now, sometimes they come back. Thank God for that. Many times they come back. So I don't want to just drop you into a hole of despair. But, but sometimes they come back, and, and, but sometimes they walk through a difficult time because, because they haven't learned how to think. And, and sometimes there's adults, grown-ups, sometimes people in this room who have not learned how to think about their faith and how to ask the hard questions about the meaning of life and what the point is. And by the way, there are about a million uh, influences out there in the world that would be happy to tell you what the meaning of life is. All kinds of, of influences that would be happy to say to you, this is what the meaning of life is. Happiness is found in family. You're going you're gonna to have meaning and purpose by building the best family that you possibly can. And that sounds great until some kind of pain happens or something breaks or whatever goes on. And suddenly family is a word that's filled with pain. Some people are going to tell you, oh, well, fulfillment is found in having a really meaningful career, something that just really changes the world. And that's great. And you go for that until all of a sudden you get laid off or your paycheck doesn't cover the bills or, you know, it's all going fine and it's going according to plan and it's just you just don't care anymore. It's just not fulfilling anymore and you're a little bit disillusioned and your idealism is gone. 
Some people are going to tell you the, the meaning of life. You can find purpose through education, through learning, through studying. And you can, you can study and learn and keep on going. But eventually you start realizing you're never going to get all the answers. I, I kind of laughed because when I went back to school um, a few years ago for a degree in sociology, I kind of laughed because I discovered we never, ever, ever, never say we have the answer. <laughs> no. We ask questions. And so when we wrote papers, we wrote all the questions. Here's all the things that are wrong with society or the things, the questions we need to answer. Here's some factors of things that we know. Here's some suggestions of maybe what might help. But every single paper ended with further studies should be done <laughs> to determine what the answer might be because you never land on an answer. Education is not going to. It's not going to be the end result. And people are going to say, well, you just need to rest more. You just need to find yourself. You just need to learn to play. You need to exercise more. But all of that only goes so far. We live in a world that says um, just we need to be more efficient or you need to play hard or you need to eat organic or you need to shop locally or you need to put your phone down because it's killing you. And here's an app that will help you do that, right? And we, uh, we live in this world that says, have you checked this podcast? Do you have the latest album? Have you, have you found your soulmate? Maybe you need to find your soulmate again. Maybe you should follow the crowd. Maybe you should be your own person. There's all kinds of sources in the world that are going to tell you what the meaning of life is, or where to find meaning in life. And the truth is that over time, they may or may not work out. And the truth for sure is that over time, they're not going to work out as well as what they promised or as well as what they expected because they just, they just never do. And this is what Ecclesiastes is addressing. This is what the teacher, they, we, we don't really know what the word, the word that it's koeleth in, in Hebrew is the guy that's doing the speaking. And we're not entirely sure what it means. It's kind of like a nickname. And so different translations translate it different ways. We're going to go with the teacher. This is what the teacher says in Ecclesiastes. He just screams it out loud to anybody that will listen. You ready? Chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Everything is meaningless. says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises, the sun sets, then it hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then it turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea's never full. And then the water returns again to the rivers and then flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. Yay. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. History merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here is something new. But actually, it's old. Nothing is ever new. We don't remember what happened in the past. And in the future generations, no one will remember what we're doing now. How many are going, I'm so glad I came to church today. I feel so encouraged and inspired. You know, some of you will remember Pastor Bill Morrow, who was part of our leadership team here for a while. And uh, he, he's just this amazing man who's just done everything. And he's been president of our Bible college and district superintendent, general superintendent. You know, super important. And he just laughs and he'll tell you, you know what it all means in the end when you leave? You're just a picture on a wall. That's what he says. You're just, you're just a picture on the wall. Just keep that in mind. It'll keep your feet on the ground. And so, so it's weird that, that this is included in Scripture. It's weird that Ecclesiastes is part of the Bible. This is so uncomfortable. 
And it, it seems to go against all the rest of the things that we see because we hear about Abraham, who God said to Abraham, you know, you're going to have a son, and your son's going to have all of these descendants, and they'll have so many descendants, they'll be like the stars on the sky, and, and they're going to, through them, the whole world is going to be blessed. Now that's exciting. Or we hear, you know, Moses, Moses, you're going you're gonna to go and you're going to rescue my people and bring them out of slavery in Egypt. And it's going to be amazing. Or Joshua, be bold, be strong, for God is with you as you go into the promised land. Woo, right? Or Esther, you know, maybe, maybe you're here because God has placed you right here in this time, in this place. God has put you here to accomplish God's purposes. Or Jesus, talking about you're going to have life and it's going to be abundant and it's going to be. Why would God include this in Scripture that's full of all kinds of promises and all kinds of wonderful things? Why would God put Ecclesiastes in Scripture when it's just going to mess with our heads? Well, I... I have a couple ideas of maybe why. Number one, it seems to me that, well, it's there because they're real questions and they're real doubts. So we might as well acknowledge them. That for most of us, the questions are going to come anyway. Whether it's because we're married to a skeptic or we're the personality that goes, I don't know, I'm not too sure. Or, or something happens that really shakes up our, our worldview and what we thought we knew. But questions regarding life and faith and the meaning of it all and the point of it all, they're going to come. And, and what better place to engage those questions than together as part of the community of faith, right? I mean, there's no point in pretending everything makes sense if it doesn't. There's no point in doing that. Just just creates a shallow faith. And so Ecclesiastes gives us permission to talk about it. And so we have a faith that says it's okay to say, I, I don't see it. I don't get it. That's good. Secondly, maybe part of the reason that God um, allowed Ecclesiastes to be in Scripture is maybe because work, if we can work through those questions, it's going to lead us to a stronger faith. If we can fight through to the other side of some really difficult moments and still have our faith intact, we're going to deeply value our faith, and we're going to have a, a, a deep foundation, something strong to stand on. We're going to get more comfortable with the idea that we don't actually know everything about everything. Now, I know some of you do. Okay, you don't. Okay. Jeff knows everything. All the rest of you, not so much. Neither do I. Okay, turn the person beside you and just go, we don't know everything. We don't know everything. And we can be comfortable with the idea that we don't, we don't have all the answers. And so we're going to go dig deep and figure out, okay, well, then what difference does it make anyway? What difference does God make in our lives? And maybe the third reason um, of why God would allow this to be in Scripture is, you know, there's this phrase that gets used a lot in Ecclesiastes, under the sun or under the heavens. He's going, this doesn't make sense, under the sun. I checked all of this under the sun, blah, blah, blah. And, and maybe part of the reason is because under the sun isn't the whole story. Under the sun isn't, isn't the whole story. Maybe there's a little piece of um, you got to choose who you listen to. Because when we look in Ecclesiastes, you're going to see there's two speakers that are happening. One of them is the teacher, and one of them is the person talking about the teacher and what the teacher had to say. And, and as it turns out, when you read it through, in, in many ways, the teacher is so, so right. I mean, so right. And also a little bit wrong. There's some places that we go, well, you don't, he doesn't have the whole picture. And he talks a lot about everything under the sun 
or everything under heaven. And the truth is the meaning of our faith is not contained under the sun. It doesn't fit just on this globe. I mean, we live on this, on this beautiful globe, this spinning thing that's going through the heavens. And we live in a world that is, guys, it's messed up. I don't know if any of you have checked Twitter recently. We live in a world that seriously messed up in some ways. And our worldview says that that is the result of sin. And our faith says that our sin, our first sin, was trying to be like God. Our first sin was trying to to be God, to do our own thing, to be completely in control of our own lives and to take control of our own lives and to and to be the one. Listen, I can I just break this to you this morning. We're not God. Okay? Say that with me. We're not God. Some of you, are, you feel you are, so you didn't say it out loud. But we're not God. We aren't in control. We like to think we have control. And we like to do all kinds of things to make sure that we have control over, you know, whether we're aging and how we look. And uh, But I don't care what the cosmetic companies tell you. We have very little control over our own lives. And so our, our sin and our pride and our error is in thinking that we do. And then when we don't, and it turns out we're not God, we're devastated and go, what, what went wrong? We live in a broken, messed up world. And it wasn't supposed to be this way. It wasn't supposed to be this way. It's why it bothers us so much when it is. Because we have higher expectations of how it's supposed to be. And if all of our search for meaning and for truth and for purpose, if all of our search is limited to under the sun, we're going to be disappointed. It's not enough because we were created for more. So we're going to look at what the teacher has to say over the next while. Now, the next cu- it's going to be a bit disjointed because the next couple weeks we're immediately taking a break from this series. So you have to, you have to hang on to what we say today, and we're going to come back to it in a couple of weeks. Okay, you can do that, right? So we're going we're gonna to look at what this teacher has to say, and then we're going to compare it with what our world tells us and has to say. And then we're going to compare it with what the rest of the scripture says, the bigger picture. And I think, I think, we're going to come out of this series with hope. With hope. Hope that there's more to life. And hope that our existence is, is more than just this. Hope. But here's the thing. In order to find that hope, there's a chance we might have to give up all the other hopes that we tend to rest on because they're not real anyway. And when we go through Ecclesiastes, the teacher's really going to push the envelope. He's going to really push the envelope on that. He's going to take us to the extreme of everything that we do. Everything that we do to try to take control of our lives. Everything that we do to try to create meaning and purpose and significance and hope and create the illusion of control in our own lives. Family, uh, fun, uh, money, um, uh, work, even, even wisdom itself. He's going to push the envelope and take us to the far extreme on any of them. And he's going to go, it's all meaningless. And we're going to have to let those things go. And then, that's just going to leave us in a space with just, just us and God. And we're going to find hope, real hope, 
in that space. Can we do that? So, so here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask you to stand at this moment. And there's two things I want to do. One of them is super practical, and then one of them is, is how we close and, and pray together. Okay, so here's the practical thing. Can I just suggest to you, if you have the nerve, if you have the courage, if you're a little bit intrigued, over the next couple weeks, pull out your Bible or your Bible app and read Ecclesiastes. Read it. Fight with it. Be uncomfortable with it. Figure out where you agree with it. Figure out where you disagree. Figure out why you disagree. Figure out what other voices are, are contradicting in your head and are influencing how you think. And ask God. Like, really ask God. God, can you show me the truth? And can you show me the purpose? And can you show me the meaning? And can you help me to find hope as I read this difficult book? I'm just suggesting that you do that over the next couple of weeks. Then here's the other thing I want to do. And maybe we could close our, head, uh, close our eyes. Don't close your head. Close our eyes. Let's pray. God, we just open our hearts to you. We really can't um, approach Ecclesiastes with a closed mind and with a simple answer and with just saying, I know all the answers. We really, really can't. Ecclesiastes, in order to to read it and to wrestle with it, it's going to require us, God, to be open to you and maybe to be open to change. So we're all going to take a deep breath and say, God, would you help us to wrestle through this? Would you help us to take this on? Would you help us, God, to not back away from the tough questions and the difficult moments? Would you help us to actually wrestle with them and come out the other side with a stronger faith? Come out the other side with hope. God, I actually really pray for your protection over the minds and hearts of every person here, that as we read Ecclesiastes, that, God, it wouldn't mess with us so far that we end up just giving up. I'm asking you, God, to speak hope through it and to pull us back so that we can wrestle through these things together. And, God, now we're, we're coming to the end of our Sunday together, and as we do every week, we turn our eyes to the week ahead. We have work to go to, we have classes to go to, we have families and social events and neighbors and friends and all of that. And in all of those places, it's really our desire, God, to carry Jesus well to those places. Help us to carry you. God, would you help us to walk out there and to do good, to love each other, and to reveal Jesus to a world that desperately needs him. Walk us through all of the challenges we're going to face this week. And bring us back safely next Sunday. And we ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want to receive prayer this morning, you want someone to pray with you, there's stations throughout the auditorium or there'll be ministry people there and they can pray with you. Otherwise, go get a coffee at the Connect Cafe. Say hi to somebody. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.